Today is January 20th, 2019. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. This, these lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nation, and the Suta. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki, I'm Mekochis Chestakom Aki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony, and my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. Um, I'm Michelle Robinson, and I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and the daughter of American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to the area of Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest, which in this case, again, is the Blackfoot. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today, or just want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area as well. Our Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you for, to the previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Nativecalgarian.com is also up. So it's been a week, and lots happened to me personally since um, this week has happened. Um, at first, I was actually really upset about the cabinet shuffle that happened. Uh, we lost Jody Wilson-Rainbow as the Justice Minister and the Attorney General, and she is now the Veteran Affairs Minister. And we ended up getting a fellow named Seamus O'Regan, I think is how you say his name. Anyway, some celebrity from out east. And uh, I, I know he struggled with alcoholism, and that's about all I know about the guy. So I don't know or understand why the cabinet shuffle happened the way it did, but it did. So regardless, um, it is what it is. But Jane Philpont actually was also moved. And yeah, I'm happy for her. Don't get me wrong. But I was just really sad because I feel like Jane Philpont was like, if you were to meet her, which I've been lucky enough to do that, you, should, you, you know she's sincere. She's very kind. Um, for those who do not know, she actually lost one of her kids. She went to Africa to do like missionary work or whatever. I, I don't know. I could be saying that wrong, but she went there to help people and as a doctor. And for whatever reason, they couldn't get medical treatment in time for one of her kids and, and one of her kids died. So I've always felt like a genuine empathy and understanding from her. So when she was moved out, I actually, I've never cried for losing a minister before, but I did because <laughs> I really love Dr. Jane Philpont and I thought she was amazing. So I was really sad to see her go and online, man, it was, it was pretty intense to see a lot of the indigenous just say it's because she was doing good things because she did. Um, she was the very first like this. And this isn't just a Justin Trudeau thing. Like this is the very first, um, time ever in the history of Canada that somebody did an inventory of the water issues across Canada on reserve. 
So she made, you know, flow charts. She set targets and goals and they were achieving them. So Seamus O'Regan gets to walk in and take over basically at the end of this, you know, at the tailgate of it with all of that work really already done. Um, obviously so many other issues to talk about, but that was just one of those things that I had a lot of respect for her doing. Um, but also like prior to the cabinet shuffle, I had seen the vitriol that would come from certain folk just attacking her. And I, like, I hope that wasn't part of the reason why she was transferred. Like, I don't know, but I just, I hope that I get to learn those answers one day and, um, yeah, go from there. But I know in the meantime, I was pretty heartbroken and, uh, we'll see. I, I've been, so I have to start following this, uh, Seamus O'Regan. I, um, obviously follow the, uh, liberal candidates that I think matter to me. Um, uh, I don't know, just watching what they're, what they retweet and seeing where they are and, uh, following, you know, what good things that they do, because these are conversations I have to have with people, uh, in order to earn their vote later. So that was kind of a big deal in my world. I very, very rarely ever get a liberal candidates reach out to me. And I did. There's a fellow running uh, against, it's not um, a secured nomination. So that means that there might be more than one candidate running against each other. And Calgary Confederation is the area where Brent, um, Matt Grant ran. And I think that's Michelle Rempel's area. Anyway, um, there's a fellow who's interested in becoming a candidate and I very rarely get a chance to talk to folks and about, um, you know, the liberal party and that. So it was actually very welcomed and, um, yeah, so I'll be, that's somebody I'll be watching because he's one of the few who took the time to actually reach out. Something that came up that I absolutely was not expecting was the best of Calgary. Um, I think it was Mike Bloggity had posted, Hey, I got nominated for all these, um, fields. And I just quickly seen my name and I'm like, what? So it turned out that somebody put my name in for civic activist. And we went to this meet and greet, which was really weird because I, you know, I've never even really heard of these awards. I don't really know what they, what to expect. I know that on like 17th Avenue in the Southwest, there's like this whole culture of people and they always do their own thing and they're always lifting each other up and they kind of live in their own little Calgary world out there. So, you know, there will be awards and such that come up that I'm like, I have no idea what any of this is about because I've never lived in that area. And um, I had assumed that's what this best of Calgary was. <laughs> if you have a look. So what has happened is that they've put out these, um, a ton of categories, like I'm not kidding. It has to be like eight pages of categories with all of these different nominated uh, people and businesses. And it really, the whole point of it is to showcase uh, what they think is the best of Calgary to show that, you know, pride that we have because people will say, well, Calgary has no culture or whatever. So this was a kind of that counter to try to some of that. So I had to look down there and like, there are barbecue places that are nominated. I've, I don't think I've been to one single one of them. And it was just really eye opening how many uh, business, uh, businesses and establishments I actually don't go to it. And now that it's on my radar, I think it's something I got to pay attention to, to try to uh, nominate folks from our area, like restaurants from our areas and, and breweries and such, because it's pretty like loaded on, on demographic of area where it, where it is. And uh, so I go to this meet and greet and it was, it was pretty weird to be in a place where like, Danielle Smith and Rick Bell and Jeremy Farkas are like, there was only maybe a hundred of us in a room. And, um, a lot of people I would have normally never crossed paths with almost all of them were white and, um, almost like majority were men. I came across this woman who was a writer. She said she was the only woman nominated in her category. So when I went through it, I voted based on that as well. I had to look at a lot of the names and sure enough, there weren't a lot of females on there either. So obviously it's something that probably needs a lot more diversity to it. And I plan to do that, but I was pretty honored to be uh, nominated in this category along with the raging grannies, Mike Morrison, who's Mike Bloggity, um, really strong LGBTQ rights. And I, I don't say two because I've tried to talk to him about it, but I haven't had much success in kind of furthering that conversation. 
Mark Hopkins, really nice guy, and Sharon Stevens. So when I went to this meet and greet, um, Sharon, she was like, okay, you're coming with me. So it was wonderful. She's, first of all, one of the uh, people I've always looked up to. She's always been super kind to me, included me, um, tried to diversify the arts community uh, with me. I, I just can't say enough uh, kind words about Sharon Stevens. She has mentored me um, from the time I've ever met her. I, the very first time I, I remember her, it, we were at the one of the first Occupy meetings. And it, it was actually quite a moment because it was really the first time a lot of nonprofits and a lot of um, activists and community leaders came together in a room and were like, how do we get through this like 1%? How do we do this? And it, I just remember her talking about the grant process and how awful it was and just feeling like, oh, I love this lady. She knows exactly what she's talking about. And then it evolved. I've started following a lot of the work she does. And for those who do not know, she does this amazing thing called the Equinox Vigil. And it it's really a, a way to talk about mourning and honoring the dead in a way we don't typically do in Western Canada and North America in general. And um, it's just really eye-opening and it's a chance for artists to really show their stuff, but also folks who are dealing with any kind of loss, mechanisms and coping tools to try to move forward. So I have the deepest respects for Sharon. Um, we've been lucky enough to work together a little bit on 17th Avenue Southeast. And um, so for her to include me, I mean, I can't go on enough about mentorship. So for folks who want to vote, um, I'm just going to throw it out there. Both Sharon and Mark were like, give, give Michelle the votes. But you just heard me talk about all of the wonderful things that everyone does. I mean, the Raging Grannies, they come to almost every protest and sing with us. Uh, Mike Morrison, like he, one of my favorite things that he does is he calls out the liberal government because, you know, I'm a liberal and I'm damn proud of the rights that we do provincially, federally, when it comes to LGBTQ+. But we said that we were going to address the blood ban and... You know, I was promised it was going to get done. It was going to get done. Here we are, like a couple of months before an election. It's not done. So I really appreciate him calling that out because uh, it's it matters to me. And I think, you know, as somebody from Calgary Force Lawn, if we put forward policies, I'm hoping this will get done before the next election. But if it doesn't, he'd have every right to call us out on that. Um, that said, obviously, I'm a part of voices. So I think, you know, I would like to see a lot more done to address the racism in the LGBTQ um, community. And I would really like to, you know, work with Mike on that one day. But I mean, we all have enough stuff on our plates. And Mark Hopkins, again, a wonderful mentor, always been kind to me, always lifting me up every time I see him. So, you know, he, um, Sharon and I just kind of clowned around and got some cute pictures with us with the, you know, YYC balloons behind us and that and just had fun. Um, Village Brewery gave us all a beer. So I think I grabbed an apple cider because I just prefer a cider. It was yummy. And then there was another company that gave us um, uh, gelato ice cream. And I had like the salted caramel. Oh. So yeah, I went for free stuff, obviously. It was great. So another thing that happened uh, was the final public meeting of Prince of Peace. And ta-da! Derek Fildebrand finally came. So that was good. Um, it was really important to have him come. Lo Robin Luff also came and Prob Gill was to come, but he got sick. So I hope he's feeling better. But anyway, um, yeah, so Leela was in the back. And Leela and I had it out earlier that day. I was really, really hurt by her and um just another typical you know colonial fragility moment where she thought it was totally appropriate to be retweeting a, a conversation that some racist was having and it was awful um when i called her she you know immediately did the whole um colonial uh, upset about it, right? So anyway, anyway, what she tweeted was this. Um, there are groups, obviously, that are for the Trans-Canada expansion. And um, so some white guy decided he was going to share that. But he said something to the effect that, you know, well, uh, natives owe us like $60 billion in lost revenue, something stupid like that. 
So I tweeted at her and I said, look, man, this perpetuates negative stereotypes of indigenous. And again, no folks who do this don't understand colonialism and they don't understand, um, you know, the history of colonialism. And of course they benefit from, well, some natives say yes. So, you know, but once again, like these are people who will never learn a damn thing about indigenous issues. So it's just, it just pisses me off. Um, so that directly actually impacted my speech that I wrote to talk about Women's Day March, because like, here's another great example of, you know, politicians having no concept about colonialism whatsoever. And I literally put right in my, um, my um, speech, you know, frankly, I would rather have another cis white man that stands for intersectional policies than a brown, black, or red person who is for the destruction of Canadian land rights and doesn't understand Indigenous sovereignty in Canada. You know, I don't, don't ask why Indigenous don't vote or the vote was so split because it just shows your ignorance to colonialism in Canada. I literally wrote my speech talking about how politicians capitalize on um, all of the division that happens in our area. So yeah, thanks a lot, Leela, for basically being the catalyst as to why I wrote the speech that I did. Um, anyway, I'll get to that later. So yeah, needless to say, um, I was really upset. We even tried to talk to each other on the phone, which she hung up on me on because she was not interested in listening to her, uh, you know, settler fragility, um, trying to learn anything, that's for sure. So I shared something today and it was from a, a black woman. She said, accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge how your behavior harms others. And that that's exactly it. Like she's just, she was not ready to acknowledge how what she was talking about was hurting other people. And she even made some lame excuse like, well, you know, it's about Siksika. And like, you can read the article. It has nothing to do with Siksika. But regardless, it is what it is. Um, she had an opportunity to apologized to me in person, chose not to. In fact, she didn't even acknowledge me in the room. So, you know, it's too bad because it just shows, well, it does show Jason Kenny's team and what they're all about, uh, regardless of them. So being, you know, progressive or whatever, just another colonial Canadian regardless. So yeah, so she was there and gratefully a ton of other people were there because I've been having meetings with folks and, everyone has a different filter that they look at this Prince of Peace issue with differently. So like, for example, Robin Luff, she is, uh, she doesn't even believe in religions being in schools in general. So we actually had a good laugh again, you know, native woman trying to save a Christian school. And, uh, you know, just talked about some of the other schools that she was at prior and some of their good qualities. Anyway, you know, she looked at it we talked about some of the missing components that we can't seem to get answers from anybody on and sent a letter on our behalf. So I'm super excited about um, possible answers from uh, David Egan on that. But that said, you know, Robin, she was advocating for a long time for a school in our area to get a playground. And when the school went on some kind of like, I don't know, national uh, grant and um you have to vote in order to get school, like money and such. All of a sudden it made news. And then all of a sudden, conveniently, David Egan's office could find money to help build the playground, regardless of whether or not they won the contest. And so it just kind of shows because she was advocating for that for over a year as our MLA and, you know, through the ministries. And, and we didn't get our, our playground until media got a hold of it. So that's why I've been, you know, really stressing media be involved in this in the hopes it can put some pressure on getting a solution. But like, I mean, we're talking a multi-million dollar problem here. Um, I think the school is, you know, I think it was like they were asking for 200,000, got like 20,000 or something. Like it was ridiculous, but still multi in thousand, you know, um, issue. But like in this one, it's multi-million. So anyway, you know, and then uh, Derek Vildebrandt, he looks at it from a private property way. And uh, I have, I'm hoping to get another meeting scheduled with him. So it'll be interesting to kind of see the filter he looks through things with, see if we can find some uh, answers there as well. 
some of the parents, oh, hats off to them for doing the good work behind the scenes of trying to get some answers. It's been really exciting educating, you know, parents on what FOIPs are. Um, like, for example, at one point in time, the uh, school district was trying to say the letters to the education minister were um, not public, in which so many people laughed at that in my circles, in my political circles. But it's fun educating like parents, like, actually, did you know it? Because that's a public institution and this is a public institution. It actually is accessible. And then talking about freedom of information and the request forms and such. So it's been really like, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've actually really enjoyed working with folks who are, who are just keen and eager and we all have a common goal and it's not getting, you know, someone from our team elected in this case, it's trying to save a school for 469 kids. So it's been one of my favorite things that I've done. But I, I'm not going to lie, during the uh, meeting, they made it very clear that this is an issue between the Rocky View School District and SAGE. And I point blank asked them, what more can we do as parents? And they basically tried to just say nothing. There's nothing that you can do. Uh, through private messages and such I've had with folks I'm like are you sure there's not much more we can do and off the record they're like no no there's not, not nothing more you can do so uh, it's been very challenging you know um, I've been trying to debunk conspiracies with parents about you know this not being GSA related or you know there's like a few people that really believe that there's a Christian conspiracy here the irony is, is that I personally think that there's um, a money conspiracy here because um, multi-million dollar investment went down the tubes and then a lot of the um, shareholders from Sage are somehow involved in the, you know, liquidation of this. So I'm like, this smells so fishy to me. But, you know, as everyone in Alberta knows, like you're not going to get a freedom of information request before February 7th. Like, um, today's January 20th. It's just not going to happen. Um, anyone, I'll just plug one of Dr. Kevin Taft's books. I mean, he talked about how Ralph Klein changed the freedom of information, um, you know, access and such, because he was the one who was getting all that information to use against the government. So all of a sudden it became, you know, very um, fee oriented and such. So anyway, it's just a mess. And I, you know, I appreciate Dr. Kevin Taffer, the work he did to expose a lot of that. But unfortunately, it's 2019 and we're still dealing with the awful effects of Ralph Klein's policies. So I don't know where this is going to go. I'm not going to lie. I'm not hopeful. Um, you know, Sage and Rocky View, if they do come to a last minute deal, of course, they'll look like the heroes. But on to me, some of the parents that have worked really hard on this, they're the unsung heroes of this and, you know, really pushing uh, the chair of the church he was really pushing to. And, you know, God bless him. I just, I don't know, he's a nice guy and, and he, he's working really hard at trying to do the right thing. He knows the numbers. So yeah, it's been really eye-opening to kind of work with different people and get their, um, their, their filter of it and hope to one day sit down with the mayor of Chestermere again and and um, and his, you know, main bureaucrat there and just chit chat about what that what the water situation across the county looks like and how difficult it is to go through that process. Because, you know, we're not dealing with the uh, county at all through this. But at the end of the day, the water issues are a part of this as well. And I mean, this is just a huge multi-million dollar issue. And, you know, I know how much of the um Land has been recently annexed just east of the city here for development. So I'm sure, you know, all of the folks that lost a lot of their investment are just waiting for that property value to go up and uh, sell it along with all the other development happening in the area. But I'm just a conspiracy theorist. Anyway, I'm just going to leave that there. So, yeah, I met with Robin Luff, had a great conversation with her. Um, Irfan Sabir, same thing, really great conversation with him about, um, you know, all of the investment into education that's been done. And he told me about another school that was um, having issues in the, in the Northeast. And there was like, you know, an angry mob protesting and he went there and he, you know, s collectively talked to everybody about the issue and, and helped everybody feel good about it. So I actually found it really refreshing talking to him and 
it was wonderful walking through his office and seeing, uh, you know, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in different languages. And yeah, I just really enjoyed that. Got some magnets, adding to my magnet connection uh, or collection of MLAs, which I'm sure nobody cares but me because I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, voices, we had our first uh, meeting of 2019. We were talking about um, having a provincial wide network, uh, working with other racialized folks or racial folks across um, the province and hopefully um, you know just reconnecting more and more and more well, we have like a two-spirit group that wants to meet more and more as well and it's just hard because a lot of the board you know are students and and working hard and we have like zero money yeah it's so weird like for example my organization which is a society approached Calgary Foundation for funding for books for our book club and the irony is you know we we don't meet the charity uh, requirements, but yet somehow voices who I know we don't ha we're not properly organized. Um, we were able to g gain some funds from Calgary Foundation, so I'm not really too sure how all of this works, and I'm still trying to figure it out. But I know what Sharon Stevens said at the first Occupy meeting a million years ago still resonates with me. So I got a last minute email. Um, Everyone who knows me knows that uh, Josie Nipponak is one of those mentors in my life that I, I really look up to. And I, anyway, last minute change, they needed somebody to go up and talk about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls in Two-Spirit. And unfortunately, Josie wanted to go, but she couldn't. So I wrote out a speech kind of with the conversation to... Uh, I really wanted to bring up, you know, the issue with the Wasotuin and the Unistaten camp and how that is directly related to the issue of violence against Indigenous. And by chance, when we were doing our march, um, a bunch of those yellow vesters were there and they were, you know, hang Trudeau and Trudeau's got to go. So during the sound check, like an asshole, I was like, check, check, check. I'm a proud liberal. Trudeau is the best. I can't wait for him to get reelected because we were so loud. It just projected across over all of the yellow vesters. And then I walked right in the middle of them to go um, to the march. Um, so, yeah, it was great. So during our march, when we got to um, where the yellow vesters were, we marched through and uh, got to the city hall. And I was one of the first speakers because I had to jet to go to work right away. And I talked about uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women, but really wanted to emphasize how feminism is, you know, if if you don't understand colonialism, your feminism isn't intersectional. And that's literally a tribute to Leela here for her, um, the way she, you know, I did the whole colonial fragility conversation we had earlier that week, because I don't care if she's brown woman. The end of the day, she doesn't understand colonial issues. She doesn't understand what's happening. And yeah, I don't know if Siksika is pro-pipeline or not. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, um, in my speech, I talked about how there are a lot of bands that feel forced to sign these energy contracts. And, and it, it has a lot more to do with the fact that, you know, if you know your history, well, maybe I should just read this little part here because I, I think that people forget the gravity of this. Like, um, you know, if you demonize Indigenous nations who do sign on energy development, it shows me you, do, you don't understand Indigenous Canadian history of, you know, taking the land, forcing Indigenous on reserves, subjected to barriers of economic development, imposing systemic poverty through racist legislation called the Indian Act, you know, creating that propaganda to say that Indigenous are inferior, legally torturing our kids, uh, through torture and our, you know, our culture and language was were basically tortured out in favor of English and French, uh, French, you know. And so I personally just can't, you know, shame Indian Act chief and councils or or anyone who sign on because I know that the d duress that Canada's put on them, there's not dollar to dollar funding. And then of course you always want to avoid violence, so you don't want your people to to be hurt. And if you do sign these ridiculous contracts, sometimes you even get some economic crumbs. So for me, it was like I wanted to emphasize that because even online, like I see some Indigenous that are like, you know, you're not uh, strong enough on pipelines and, 
you know, nobody should be, we're supposed to be land protectors. You never do this or that. And it's like, you know, and, and I, I have the deepest respect for that work. And I try to amplify those voices as much as I can. But I also just cannot demonize somebody for, you know, I personally understand harm reduction. I mean, I grew up watching violence and uh, I don't wish that on anybody. So anyway, I just really tried to emphasize the ignorance that comes out of a lot of the politicians that don't understand their history here of Canada. And I also wanted to, you know, go a lot further about, you know, not really understanding what consent and sovereignty means or what no means. So anyway, my speech is online if you're interested in reading it. And, um, you know, I just hope that people actually learn what allyship means. And that means like learning about Indigenous history and our issues and not, you know, saying, well, Michelle, she's just anti-pipeline and or these people are pro-pipeline because I wish it was that simple. And if you're a simpleton that actually believes that, (laughs) read a book, read a book. It was really, uh, I want to say thank you to um, Esma Hand and all of the the organizers of the Calgary's Women's March for allowing me space. One of my favorite uh, people in Calgary, actually, is a a trans rights um, advocate and activist and, and, uh, you know, spoke really strongly about not just those issues, though, but also the Jewish, Jewish heritage because anti-Semitism is really coming out strong right now. And, um, you know, like I'm a pro-Palestinian right person, but it's getting to the point, I guess, in the Jewish community that um, a lot of folks don't even feel comfortable explaining that they're Jewish because to me, the state of Israel is a stupid government entity, not anything to do with the Jewish religion, but apparently a lot of people aren't making that distinction. And like all religion, you know, there's so many different sects of it. So I think it's really easy to take one part out. So anyway, I've been trying to do a little bit of education on things like Operation Paperclip. And uh, so look that up if you've never been exposed to that. And that was when the Canadian government brought in a bunch of the German scientists that were doing all of the eugenics work. uh, Because here in in Canada, we were happily sterilizing Indigenous women and doing that work. So it just made sense for them to bring them in. So that happened. And then I promote Warren Kinsella's book, uh, Web of Hate, because it gives a bit of the history that happened when I was growing up in Sylvan Lake. And there were like crosses burning in Caroline for neo-Nazi rallies. And like I told the story of this Jewish fellow who um, wore the Jewish coveralls and would like protest in front of the neo-Nazi rallies that they would have. And I was like, that's one of the bravest people I could possibly know. Um, And I don't, I didn't know him, but I just thought he was really brave then, let alone now, you know, being older and understanding the gravity of this. So I just wanted to throw that out there because even in in voices, we had a, um, a person who was afraid to basically tell us that they were Jewish. And I was like, what? So, so I just felt really bad that, you know, folks are still being so persecuted and, and, you know, we were told direct stories of what it was like when people find out they're Jewish. And so I felt really bad to hear all of that. And if I can use my platform in any way to separate, you know, the state of Israel from the Jewish uh, religion, because uh, to me, they are completely distinctly different. Um, another book I highly recommend for folks that like I, I said, like, don't you think that uh, the Christian and evangelicals are appropriating your, you know, religion? Because uh, the Marcy McDonald's book about, you know, the rise of Armageddon, that talks about all of that, you know, camps and that thinking that's down in the States that's infiltrated Kenny and Harper and those people thinking that way. So anyway, I just hope that folks start uh, standing up for for the uh, Jewish religion too, because I don't want anyone to feel marginalized over their Jewish heritage. Um, As my one friend said, you know, even if you aren't a practicing Jewish um, religious person, it's still part of your heritage and uh, being persecuted for it is, um, and, and as my one friend said, you know, they're Jewish enough to be killed by Hitler. And it's like, ooh, that's a good point because I know what it's like to be native and be, be be persecuted by Harper. I'm I'm Indian enough for him, so 
I, I, uh, I really resonated with that message and I want to throw that out there to folks too. Uh, that whole concept of not being native enough. Well, just imagine the reverse of that. Well, you're native enough for us to persecute you because Hitler did it to the Jews. So don't think for a second you're safe until we're all safe. Moving on, after I did my speech at the Women's March, had a little bit of work. We went to uh, Forest Lawn and did a catwalk. Uh, the a community association president, he's actually running for the Green Party too. So, you know, I, I know he's doing the catwalks because he very clearly, truly believes that there should be better legislation for um, houses in the city that are uh, experiencing like, you know, drug issues or um, hoarding issues and such. And uh, so I kind of want to sit down with him on that and figure out where his head's at, because to me, you know, is it this really municipal, provincial or federal? And to me, he's running provincially through the Green Party, when it's like, you know, maybe this is a municipal issue that we should be talking about a bylaw. But regardless, we'll, I'll have that conversation hopefully in the future. We'll go from there. Um, did some phone banking for the Liberal Party. And yeah, so my, my very last call was um, a woman. I call her up. And for the most part, I know most of the people on the list because, you know, I've been getting the emails for the last, I don't know, since 2011, who signed up, who's member, all of that stuff, right? So for the most part, I know I'm really aware of the names. So I'm chit-chatting with this one, and she moved out to Nova Scotia, and I'm like, oh, you ever coming back? And she's like, well, I don't know, but I do know that I keep sharing all the stuff on Facebook from Calgary Forest Lawn and from the IPC and tried to tell my friends in Calgary about the good work you're doing. And you're doing really great work, Michelle. And I was just, I was, I was kind of got choked up, got it all a little teary. And <laughs> was really grateful to get that kind of feedback. Because I'm not going to lie, it's pretty tough sometimes talking about this stuff. And then when people are really sweet and kind, it means the world. So, you know, I know for me, I'm really lucky to be in Calgary Forest Lawn when it comes to the Riding Association and get to hear positive things. It was also the way, uh, you know, my my uh, bank of people were set up so that it was folks that were already established liberals and not um, cold calls, which some of the poor other folks had to do <laughs> in other ridings. Uh, we were also promoting, I guess, Bill Blair is coming um, across Alberta. And I kind of laughed because I said, you know, pretty sure I have a few protests under my belt about the G20 and what happened there with the cattling of people. And, uh, you know, now to be thinking that he's coming to Alberta, it, we have this uh, tiered system in the party and the Laurier tier are people who max out their uh, financial contributions that meet the Elections Canada. And it's for folks that have done that. That's who he gets to meet. And I just kind of laughed because I'm like, well, that's that's the perfect demographic because folks like me, I don't know, he and I would have to have a real sit down conversation because <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'd probably still protest him if I had the opportunity because he's still a cop and he still thinks like a cop. And I don't know what kind of indigenous training he's had. We'd have to see. <laughs> anyway. I wanted to tell everybody we were talking about doing the uh, hashtag shutdown Canada and we used uh, Calgary social change for Wednesday afternoon. We're going to shut down um, cloud trail on fourth uh, and fifth. So that's going to completely mess up rush hour and the Calgary police are working with the uh, new activist on that. So I'm really keen to help her in any way I can. I hope that if you can miss some work and come to this, I would appreciate that. And I, I say that because um, my last speech that I gave at the Women's March, you know, I really closed it out with a really strong message that, um, cause they, they wanted all of the women to wear a red scarf. So I said, you know, know what that red scarf really means. It means honoring and supporting indigenous families affected by colonialism and the violence that accompanies it. Join us on October 4th, like you would this event. Remember the families that experience violence thanks to the colonial economy and policies Allyship is missing work to attend Indigenous events. Allyship is donating to Indigenous organizations because of the understanding they are not included in the mainstream. Allyship is action. Earn the term ally with your action. 
So, you know, I wanted to make that clear because what happened to the Wisotuin and, and the Unastoten camp, I think it's really important that we support them the best that we can. And uh, if that means, like, in my opinion, obviously, Calgary is like energy capital. Um, actually, we are we are so energy here that there are a lot of American companies that funnel through Canada in order to do international exploration because our regulations are not as tight as they are in the States. So, um, you know, I get a kick out of people saying activists are all funded. One, I'm not. And two, <laughs> almost all of the energy companies are from the States, almost all of them. So I just, I don't understand the huge disconnect they have right now. The conservatives are propping up this like Vivian Kraus because she's talking about, you know, finding a stream of funding through the Koch brothers that go through some environmental groups. And I just laugh so hard because it's like literally the Koch brothers that financially benefit from all of the energy work that's happening here. But whatever. You can't tell conservatives like facts. They just don't listen to facts. So anyway, I don't know any rich natives that have gotten a ton of money from their activism. So, you know, we'll follow that until, you know, I see all of these mansions of people who have you know, all of these things, it's not going to happen. Anyway, Indigenous have been talking about their issues and their traumas, sharing them in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. You know, no more. Honor those words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, know that your vote so that party directly impacts marginalized people. Now, I'm just going to throw this out real quick is that Mike Bloggity, he posted a picture and that picture was a screenshot of all the main, the four main leaders here in uh, Alberta and almost all of them attended the Women's March and had something positive to say, except one, Jason Kenney's team. Not only did they not come, not only did they not tweet anything positive, but they tweeted it about something completely off topic. So I was really glad he showed that because I think it's really important that people see what you're voting for. I mean, clearly, these people do not care about women's issues at all. And <laughs> it's sad because truly, if they cared about a strong economy, they would support women and marginalized people of color, indigenous women, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But they don't. And then it directly impacts our economy in a negative way. The other countries, Western countries, have figured this out. And that's why they have so many gender gender equity plus type budgets and policies. So we got to get with the program, frankly. And if we're going to attract like international investors to shut up, set up shop here in Calgary, duh, these are things we got to do. Anyway, I was really proud of Mike for putting that out there. And again, I'm running against him in, in uh, this Calgary activist thing and you know, I'm not saying vote for him or Sharon or Mark or um, the Raging Grannies, but I do really appreciate all of the work that they do because we all um, benefit from those kind of call outs. Uh, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports on child welfare reform and violence prevention. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election pro, uh, platforms, politicians, and if they don't understand colonialism, Layla, racism, or sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, and more. Uh, violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous has faced it. Uh, generation has faced it. And that's why I started this podcast was to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear indigenous opinion, but they sure want to tell us theirs. And usually by people who know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, just typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo or others who are really in their trauma and try to stop people from doing the good work. Um, internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. 
you know, I just hope that this podcast will be something my family will be proud of in the future as I talk about these present day issues. I want to continue putting cultural safety into action so that you can create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, uh, the Jewish religion, those with a disability, LGBTQ2+, you know, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. I actually shared a really great article about, you know, how being nice is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support system for yourself so that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. But don't expect this learning to come from Indigenous people when you have Google, when you have libraries, literally a hashtag Indigenous Reads. Uh, take time for self-reflection. Be prepared to, um, you know, question your assumptions and biases of, like, in my case, I <sighs> I had an assumption about um, anti-Semit, uh, like, this whole Israel, um, state of Israel being separated from the religious belief system, whether Christian or Jewish. Apparently, that's not a thing. So even I have to question my um, assumptions and biases. So if I can, you can too. Question everything that you have learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. Something I want to share with you was I was on a phone call and thank God it was recorded. But one of those phone calls that it was very clear um, a woman was saying something very clearly, totally understood it, but a man needed a man to explain it for him to understand it. And even I was mad at myself for not stepping up and saying something. But what I did was I sent an email to that person to validate what I had seen to them and say, and this is your digital copy. Like, so you can either, you know, file this away and hopefully you'll never see it again. Maybe after 20 times of that, you shall have enough data to showcase this person is a problem. And I named them right in the email for that reason, because I wanted to make it very clear that I would back her up if she needed that. I mean, thank God the phone calls are recorded and hopefully anyone who listens to it will know better. But, you know, even I have to step up. I can't just, you know, talk this talk and not walk it, right? So I'm trying. And I, I want you to try to. Anyway, I want to say thank you to here to help.bc.ca, uh, Visions, Indigenous People, Volume 11, What is Indigenous Cultural Safety and Why I Should Care About It. Um, internalized racism, or a lot of people call it lateral violence. It's another form of violence that Indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Um Boy, we have the Indian Act, we have Indian residential schools, we have the Clearing the Plains policies. Like, there's literally books and books and books on this. So uh, if you Google internalized racism or lateral violence, I'm sure you will come across Donna Bevins and her racialequitytools.org uh, PDF on what is internalized racism. Also, the American Friends uh, Service Committee have a really good do and don't for bystander intervention. Again, this is what I, I did, and I'm throwing it out there in the hopes you do it. But if you witness any public instances of racism, you know, anti-black, anti-woman, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, anti-any other form of oppression, you know, really intervene for the safety of everybody. You know, make your presence known. Record it. Uh, it's a lot easier to delete later. And frankly, I have found recording... Like I started doing this during the Occupy time where I would start to record, especially if I seen people fighting. The moment a camera is on someone, they almost immediately start to de-escalate. So some of these videos that you see online, they're always shocking to me because I'm like, so the, the, you know, recording wasn't enough for you. You were still that empowered that you would be that way. So anyway, you know, I've talked about it many, many times. Take cues from the individual being harassed. Um, ask them questions like, do you, would you like me to stand over here? Do you want to um, move to another train car with me? Would you like this person to leave you alone? Follow their lead and back them up if they're resisting in their own way. Honor them. Don't tone police the person being harassed by saying, 
don't yell so much. You're bringing yourself attention. Because that they didn't do that on purpose. The person attack, attacking them is. Uh, follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over. And see if they need anything else. Just do what you can to keep yourself safe. Don't necessarily call the police unless you're asked to. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, whether you know immigrant, Arab, Muslim, black, queer, trans, um, apparently the Jewish community, you know, police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. So ask them. Uh, don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. Don't do nothing. Dan- silence is dangerous. It communicates approval. It leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out or just like dumb like me the other day on the phone call, um, you can send that email so that you have that digital copy, copy or, but you can also give them like your, your card or your name and your number and just maybe put the date and the time on there so that that way they have some kind of record that this happened and they know somebody will back them if they change their mind later and want to do more about it. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, uh, the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline is 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for non-Indigenous, you have local distress sign, distress lines and uh, suicide prevention lines as well. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, for what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to thank my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every day, we are honored you chose us. And you give me daily accountability to be a better, stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Jody, Judy, Oh, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you for signing up. It was great to see you, by the way, Joni, at um, the Women's March. Thank you for being one of the key organizers. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments and questions. We are now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. NativeCalgarian.com is also up where you can share with your friends.